Well, many years ago, I heard Billy Graham speak after having made a journey to do one of his evangelistic campaigns, or as he used to refer to them as, crusades in Russia. And while in Russia, Billy Graham spoke with many Russian Orthodox priests. And one of the things they found to be different between Eastern Christianity and Western Christianity is the place of the cross. Now, obviously, the Russian Orthodox recognized the great value of the cross, but they were curious as how it took the dominant role in the symbolism of Western Christianity. Now, many of you are aware that various Orthodox churches make significant use of icons, paintings that reflect the aspects of Jesus' life that, and that of the saints of the church. And there are, of course, icons of the crucifixion, but there are ever more so of the life preceding the crucifixion and then the events after the crucifixion leading up to the ascension. When the Orthodox were speaking with Billy Graham, they pointed out that during the Roman occupation of Israel, there were untold number of people who were crucified. On the other hand, there was only one man who was resurrected. The point they were making is to emphasize what is most important, the fact that Jesus conquered the grave. It may be strange or sounds strange to be speaking of Good Friday, the day of crucifixion, and Easter, the day of resurrection, when we are all obviously here this evening to celebrate Christmas. The reason is this. The point is that we must, as the Orthodox suggest, direct our attention and our priorities to those things, those days, those events which are most important. St. John Chrysostom does this when it comes to the importance of Christmas, when he says this, A feast is about to arrive, and it is the most holy and awesome of all feasts. It would be no mistake to call it the chief and mother of all holy days. What feast is that? It is the day of Christ's birth in the flesh. It is from the day... It is from this day that the Feast of the Theophany, the Sacred Posh, Passover, the Ascension, and the Pentecost had their source and foundation. Had Christ not been born in the flesh, had the first Christians Christmas not occurred, he would not have been baptized, which is the Theophany, or the Manifestation. Nor would he have been crucified, which is the Pasch, our Christian Passover. Nor would he have sent down the Spirit, which is the Pentecost. Therefore, just as different rivers arise from a single source, these other feasts have their beginnings in the birth of Christ. Quite simply, Christmas, being the birth of Jesus, our Christ, is the birth of all Christian life. Now tonight the eve of the day of our Savior's birth, there are a few things to learn from the information that was recorded for us from St. Luke. We'll review some of the 
key portions of our gospel text. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house, he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the guest room. That may sound different to you, and we'll get to that in a moment. The first thing, Joseph is a lineage of David. Of course, this is important because the Messiah is to come from David's line. This is one of the many messianic prophecies that Jesus will fulfill over the course of his life. Another is that he will be born of a virgin, and we already know from the readings from Advent that Mary is a virgin, yet miraculously pregnant with Jesus. The next thing to point out is Jesus is born in Bethlehem. We know from his own words, we'll learn once he enters into his adulthood and his ministry here on earth, that Jesus is the bread of life. He says this in John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. To make sure those who are listening and those who would someday read his words, Jesus made this even more clear just a few minutes later by saying, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Near the end of Jesus' earthly life, he instituted the Eucharist, Holy Communion, or the Lord's Supper, whichever you wish to call it by, By saying, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Jesus is our bread of life, the bread that nourishes our souls. Now again, you may be asking why we talk about the bread of life, why talk about the Eucharist when we are here to celebrate the birth of Christ. The baby in the manger. Because Joseph was of David and David was of Bethlehem. And now Jesus, born among the livestock and laid in a manger, a feed trough, is of Bethlehem and Bethlehem in the language means house of bread. House Bethlehem of bread. Bethlehem, the house of bread, birthplace of the living bread, the bread of life. The hay trough for oxen has become the bread basket for all humanity. The first Adam ate the forbidden fruit and brought death to humanity. The second Adam is the living bread and says to all humanity, you are bidden to eat so that you will live, come, see, taste. And know that the Lord is good. Now the next lesson we learn 
from Luke is that there was no room for Joseph and Mary in the guest room. Told you we'd get back to that. The upper room. So they had to be downstairs with the livestock. At this point in time, we come to the small difficulty in what we commonly to be commonly believed to be the birthplace of Jesus and the actual reality of the birthplace of Jesus. As everyone here, well, maybe not everyone, I don't recognize every face, but those who know me more than a little bit know that I have a special affection for St. Francis of Assisi. What you may not know about St. Francis is that our modern understanding of the nativity with the barn and all the animals, the very western-looking agricultural scene, that which we have seen throughout our lives, which Becky and I and my entire family greatly adore, and we have nativities through the entire house. It's not an anti-nativity comment. But that scene that we look at is almost entirely shaped by St. Francis of Assisi. One Christmas, St. Francis was responsible for putting together the Christmas service. He was the deacon in the church in Greccio. And here's the account of how it happened, written by one of his closest friends, a fellow monk, St. Bonaventure. St. Francis recreated the scene of Christ's birth in a special ritual and mass he held inside of a cave in Grecio, Italy, inviting both his fellow friars and townspeople to join in the celebration. Later he told a friend why he desired to create the first nativity scene in his town. I want to do something that will recall the memory of that child who was born in Bethlehem, to see with bodily eyes the inconvenience of his infancy, how he lay in the manger, and how the ox and the ass stood by. He set up an empty manger, the feed trough of farm animals, which served as Jesus' crib, inside of a cave, included a live ox and donkey beside the manger, just as it was believed to have happened on the first Christmas night. Through these visual aids, he wanted everyone to impress more deeply into their understanding how Christ came into the world in such poverty and simplicity. This was a typical perspective of St. Francis' unique charism of simple, poverty-centered spirituality. It is also said that St. Francis, who was radically devoted to the virtue of evangelical poverty, was inspired to recreate the original nativity scene to confront the rampant greed and materialism prevalent at that time in Italy. St. Francis' creation of that first Christmas night was so popular that soon every church in Italy had its own nativity scene. The devotion also spread to private homes and in modern times even to secular institutions, so much so that it's now impossible to imagine Christmas without a nativity scene to behold. Now that's an amazing story. If you ever have the opportunity to visit, you'll find that Greccio is an amazing town. It's a place where ever since that first night, they have considered it to be Christmas Day. It is Christmas every day in Greccio. But here's a little bit of a problem when it comes to that scene. The mountains of Italy are nothing like Bethlehem. Not at all. Not remotely close. 
And while in European countries, separate buildings are built for barns, that's not the way it was done in ancient Israel. Houses were built so that the upper part of the house was the living area for the family, and the lower part of the house was where livestock were brought in out of foul weather. Now, let's think about what's going on in Bethlehem right now. Actually, throughout all of Judea. Everyone is traveling back to their hometown, the home of their family of origin, for the census. The upper room, because that, that is the word so many Bible translators have rendered as in, you will find it is the exact same word used later in Luke when Jesus says to the disciples, go and prepare the upper room for the celebration of the Passover. Unlike today, they didn't have holiday and they didn't have comfort before they had inn. It wasn't a hotel. It was the upper room of the house. So the upper room of the family home, their home of origin, would have been packed by every single brother, sister, cousin, aunt, uncle, so on and so forth, because they were all there for the census. And with the upper upstairs, the guest room, the inn, packed full of people, and with Mary and Joseph needing space and privacy for the birth of the Christ child, they stayed downstairs. And within a few days, Mary does give birth. God uses Caesar of Augustus in his prideful census to bring Mary to the house of bread. And in the house of bread, Mary gave birth to the living bread. God uses the incredible crowd to push Mary and Joseph from the upper room to the lower where the brute force beasts of burden oxen ate from a manger, and now the manger cradles the bread of life, and those of us who are made beasts through the burden of, and brutishness of sin are called to eat upon the living bread. And finally, for tonight, we see Luke tell Mary, tell us that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. Now, theologians from a variety of different Christian perspectives debate and argue and even fight over just what that means. The thing that cannot be debated is that Mary, in giving birth to Christ, gave birth to all the children of God who are heirs, born as adoptive brothers to Christ. Paul, wrote, Paul writes to the Romans and through them to us, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. The great church historian, the Venerable Bede, explains Luke properly names him firstborn because, as John says, but as to many as received him, he gave them the power to become sons of God. Among those sons, he rightfully holds the primacy, who before he was born in the flesh was son of God, born without beginning, 
However, he descended to earth, he shared in our nature, and lavished upon us a sharing in his grace, so that Jesus should be the firstborn of many brothers. Brothers, sisters, co-heirs of the kingdom of God the Father. What an incredible blessing, born all those years ago in a land so far away, born a king that is clothed in poverty, so that we who are made poor in Adam might in Jesus be clothed with the richness of his righteousness. No wonder that the angels proclaimed glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is well pleased. Merry Christmas. Amen.